Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. Pastor Jeff here. I am at Sky Harbor Airport and just about to take off on the first leg of my trip to Mozambique wanted to just take a moment and say uh, please pray for this trip that God opens the door for our church into Mozambique. I'm excited to be going and representing our church and and several other uh, groups that are that are very excited to see us spread the gospel in Africa. Crosswalk. It's nearing the end of the first official day here in Mozambique, and what a day it's been. Uh, I think I've met all my goals for the very first day, which were pretty simple goals, really. Get my feet on the ground, uh, find my hotel room, get some currency exchange so that I have some local currency, and do a little bit of a walking tour of Maputo. I'm going to have an early night tonight because I've got to be back up at 3 a.m. tomorrow for a trip up the coast to the next city, uh, Baira in Mozambique. trip to Mozambique is going amazing so far. I just finished a three-hour tour of this historic island of Ilia de Mozambique and talked with several individuals, got some amazing and and truly wonderful ministry ideas uh, that we might be able to use here in Mozambique. The whole entire trip has been wonderful from landing in Maputo, to my stay in Beira, where I think really uh, that's a city that I I think we really want to take a hard look at uh, for beginning our our ministry there to share the gospel. And we've got some great potential ministry partners who want to come alongside, uh, who are actually very excited to come alongside and help uh, fund this venture. Eventually the goal is to bring um, many of you over here, uh, those of you who want to come and, and uh, experience what I'm experiencing in this trip, it's truly life-changing, and I think for you, uh, a chance to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ on another side of the world will just be, um, well, it, it, it will be life-changing. So for now, uh, just keep praying, and uh, thanks for all your love and support. Okay, a couple things wrong about that video. First of all, he's driving down the wrong side of the street. Don't know what that's all about. (laughs) Or maybe it's not. And the other thing, there was something glaringly missing from that video. And that was Pastor Dan with Pastor Jeff over in Mozambique. So uh, I'm getting over that right now, but it is, uh, it, it's great to see the video and, and to see that the trip is going well. And uh, he asked for our prayers, and right now I'd like to give him some. So let's bow our heads and pray. 
Dear Lord God, first of all, we thank you for asking the prayers that we have already prayed for Jeff, and that is that he make it uh, over to Mozambique safely, and he has. So thank you for that, Lord. Uh, The next thing we pray is that you would open doors for the gospel. Right now, as, as Jeff is there, he's making relationships. He's, he's dealing with some legal issues as well, uh, getting permission for us to go into Mozambique and to do work there. And, and so, Lord, open those doors and, and help us bring the good news of Jesus Christ. Send your Holy Spirit to be with Jeff now, uh, to comfort him, to guide him, to, to give him the words to say, and, and finally to move the hearts of people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, continue to, to look after Jeff and, and bring him home safely to us so that he can share uh, these exciting stories of the gospel with us in person. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1929, there was a young man who graduated from college as a pharmacist. And he tried to get work right away, and he did. He went from pharmacy and drugstore to from from different ones over a, a two-year period and because of the depression the great depression uh, was not able to get uh, the work that that he was hoping to get in 1931 his father died and uh, it was it was a sad time but it was also it, it gave him an opportunity and the reason why is that his father left him $3,000, which was a huge sum of money at that time. And he knew that if he and his wife were going to, to make a living for themselves, that it wasn't going to be by being a pharmacist at, pharmacist at someone else's drugstore, but he wanted to buy one of his own. And so what he did is he, he looked for in the Midwest and into the Plains states, and he looked for two things. He looked for a, a place that was selling a drugstore, and he looked for a place that was selling a drugstore that also had a Catholic church because he was Catholic and wanted to make sure that he would, would have that. And so finally, he, he found a place in, in western South Dakota that fit his criteria, and he told his family what he was going to do, and they told him he was crazy. And the reason why is because the town that he bought the drugstore in only had 343 people in it. 343 poor people in it. 343 people whose land had been affected by drought and savings had been affected by the depression. And they told him, there is no way you are going to be able to make a living and make a life there. He was concerned about it, and so what he told his wife is, we'll give it five years. Five years we're going to do this, and, and then we'll, we'll see what happens. And so he had his, his drugstore and spent most of his days standing there looking out at people who were just walking by. They would average about ten people a day and would spend his time in the summer swatting flies and, and just wishing someone would come in. And it was an old-fashioned drugstore. I don't know if we saw a picture of it. It's one of those old-fashioned pharmacies that you could get ice cream and, and, and soda and things like that as well as things in the pharmacy. So they tried it for four and a half years. Four and a half years they went on losing money year after year, trying to serve the people of the, of the town, uh, taking credit in order for them to get their medicines and, and, and just going into debt. 
Then one hot summer July day, his, his wife went afternoon to put their baby down, and one-month-old baby, and she, she went and she told him, I'm going to go take a nap, and I'm taking the baby with me, and went to where their, their home was, and she came back about a half hour later. And he said, what's the problem? Is it too hot? I mean, is it too hot for you to sleep? And she said, no, it's the stupid traffic. Uh, with Highway 16A and Highway 14, where they come together, it's near this town. And she said, it's just, uh, all the sound of these cars is, is just frustrating me. And he, she said, that got me to thinking a little bit that maybe we need to do this differently. And, and so what I think we should do is I think we should offer free ice water to any traveler who comes down the road. She said, why don't you do that and go make five signs that say free ice water and, and see if anyone comes. And so he, he said, whatever, if that's what you want me to do. So he made the five signs, was out putting them out. And by the time he came back, 20 people were in his pharmacy looking for ice water, asking for a drink. Another person said, I'm headed all the way out to Yellowstone. Could you fill up my jug for me? Because uh, I don't know where else to get water. And, and so it happened that uh, this, this little drug store gave away ice water, and then people would say, you know what? Why don't you give me an ice cream cone too? Uh, why don't you give me a pop for the way? And what happened is now... That, that drugstore continues to advertise free ice water. Here's one of their, their signs. I don't know if you've ever heard of Wall Drug South Dakota, but in Wall South Dakota at that drugstore, it's now one city block big. They still give away free ice water. They sell coffee for five cents. And last year they had over two million people visit their drugstore and made over $10 million. As you look at this model, it's a great business model. And, and, it, and it's something that's, that's really interesting. And that is that by, by giving away something at no cost that you know people need, and then advertising, Wall Drug, if, you, if you've never heard of it, it's not their fault. They have 3,000 right now, 3,000 billboards uh, that they use to advertise. If you ever drive on I-90 across South Dakota, I think the first one says Wall Drug, 392 miles away. And then it's Wall Drug, 388 miles away. And then uh, all of the things advertising what you can do, and it's something to look forward to with your family, uh, to go there. They have a splash pad, and, and just different free things that bring you in uh, so that they can sell you something as well. Well, as we, we look at this today, the, the reason why I wanted to share this is this idea of recognizing people's need and then letting them know that you have a way to fill that need. Because in our lesson, we, we go to John the Baptist, and, and that's exactly what John the Baptist and then later Jesus Christ would do. Turn with me in your crosswalk notes to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. And again, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Matthew 3, it says, In those days John the Baptist came 
preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. The kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. And this is talking about John, that he is a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. I look at John the Baptist and... I don't know if you are surprised, but I am. And and what I'm surprised about is that anyone would go out to hear John the Baptist preach. And here is why. He had a message that no one wanted to hear. You're a sinner. Uh, You're on your way to hell. And he preached in a place where no one wanted to go, which was out in the wilderness, out in the desert where it was hot. And the reason why it it surprises me is every Sunday I offer this in an air-conditioned auditorium. And you can still see there are seats here. And and why is it that this is a message that that people, uh, many people, don't care about? Uh, that, That it's one that's not important to them. But John the Baptist came with the promise of the Lord and with the power of Elijah... Uh, this power of this message. And what happened is his message of repentance, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, is a message that resonated with the people of that time. Because the people of that time had a, I'll say a spiritual itch that the religion of the day and the things that were going on in their lives just could not scratch. They were restless. And I, I think that is a, a message that also resonates in our society today. Maybe not so much the idea of sin, but the idea of, of people being unhappy in where they are at in their life. And not like horribly unhappy, but, but maybe just saying, you know what I, what I would like in my life? I would just like more than what I have. And it it seems like, you know what, if I just had a little more money and things were a little more comfortable, I would be a little more happy. Or if I had a little more vacation or a little more time to spend with family or a little more time to spend by myself, that that then I would be happy. And, And then occasionally we get those things and then we're unhappy about something else. And what John the Baptist was telling them is you're looking at the wrong places. If you want to look at at the history of your life, at all the times when you've been hurt, all the times when you've been unhappy, and all the times when things haven't gone right, you have one common denominator, and the common denominator is you. And and if you want to see it, at how change is going to be made, it needs to start with you, and it needs to start with your relationship with God. Many people came to hear him, Some people accepted his message and some did not. The ones who did were baptized, who understood, oh my gosh, the problem is me. And I need to be washed. I need my sins taken away. And then John the Baptist comforted them. In the blank, you can write, John prepared the way for Christ by pointing out the need for change. Something's got to change. I can't continue to live like this. I think it's something we can all relate to. But now, what happened is, as John the Baptist is, is doing this, uh, there's a day when there's a, a stark contrast. And, and Matthew three thirteen to 17 says, 
Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. I want you to remember that. that so, so Jesus is, John is saying to Jesus, you don't have any sin, Jesus. John's saying, I have sin, Jesus. You should be washing me. But again, Jesus says to fulfill all righteousness. That's why we're doing this. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We had a baptism today. We had two baptisms today, right? And, and so during that, that baptism time, I, I take time to explain what baptism is and, and how it is a way that, that God has washed, washed away sin and how God does wash away sin. And in my 21 years of being a pastor, as I've been doing the baptism, there has never been a voice from heaven that says, this is my child whom I love. With this child, I am well pleased. Not even during my baptism. <laughs> and the reason why is because what, what John was saying to the rest of the people was true, is that, that God is not happy with us, and God is not pleased with us with our own righteousness. But we need a righteousness that is given to us instead. And so we come to this, and the question then is, why then was Jesus baptized? If Jesus had no sin, why would Jesus be baptized? And his answer was to fulfill all righteousness. And this is a concept in Christianity that, that it's important for you to understand, and, it, and, it's, and it's sometimes something that's missed. And that is this, is that we, we talk about Jesus dying for our sins on the cross and, and Jesus taking our sins away and that is accurate and that is exactly what Jesus has done but God only as he looks at you not only demands that you have no sin but he also demands that you have a perfect life that, that you need to be righteous in everything that you do I'll put it this way I'll use an illustration Imagine I, I go back to the time when Tanya and I got married, and, and we get married uh, somewhere up north where they have lots of rain, and it rains the day of the wedding. And so what happens is I'm riding with a couple of the groomsmen to the church. Uh, we hydroplane, we go off in the ditch, and, and we get caught in the ditch, and we, and we need help, so we're, we're going to push the car out. So I go out, and I'm pushing the car, and... Uh, it kind of does the My Cousin Vinny deal where it starts spraying the dirt and all over the place. And now I'm covered with dirt and mud and, and grime on the, the day of the wedding. So, so we, we finally get out. We get to the, the church. And it's, uh, it's obvious that I need to, to change. I need to get rid of this. So, so I take off the tuxedo. I, I get sprayed down with a hose and I'm made clean. And then I'm just ready to walk down the aisle, right? Maybe not. 
So not only do you need the dirty tuxedo taken away, but you need a new clean one in which you are going to stand. And in the same way, with with the work that Christ has done for us, not only did he take away our sin, which was essential, but we were still lacking something. And that was the perfect life that Jesus came to live for us. And so, one of the things that I would strongly encourage you to do when you read the Bible, when you read accounts of Jesus doing things perfectly, understand that he did them for you. Last week, we looked at the boy Jesus in the temple. Remember when his his parents had left and he was there studying, meditating on God's word. Jesus did that perfectly for you. Sometimes I'm frustrated I, I don't have the prayer life I want or meditation life that I want. There were times when Jesus would go pray 12 hours in a row. And you know why he was doing that? He, he was asking for strength from the Father, but he was also doing it for you, for me, because I couldn't do it perfectly. One of the things that was mentioned when he faced the temptations of Satan and, and he defeated each one of them, he did that for you. That, that's Jesus living the perfect life. And so as you look at Jesus keeping the first commandment, having no other God, the second commandment, uh, worshiping, praising God, uh, never cursing or damning anyone to hell, the perfect keeping of the Sabbath day, his honoring of his parents, his, his, all of those, every one of the commandments and everything that Jesus did perfectly, that is part of the deal that was done for you so that you can stand before God. And now, because of that, you know what God says when he looks at you? This is my child whom I love. With you, God is well pleased because of Jesus Christ. Even in our baptisms, unperfect, imperfect. But Jesus is perfect for us. In the blank, I'm sorry, there's one more passage. Uh, John 1, verse 40. What did all of these things show then? Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And so, in the blank, you can write, Jesus came with the Father's seal of approval. Perfect in God's eyes. Seal of approval, it's exactly what God demanded of Jesus to pay for your sin and give you his righteousness. And the next one is, it's just one proof that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. And the Christ means the promised one, the Messiah. They, they're uh, synonyms. And, and it's always to the one that was coming. All of the promises pointed ahead, pointed ahead to the one who would take away sin. And John the Baptist, remember, he was like a, a, a billboard saying, Jesus, uh, the the Savior is coming. Uh, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus' baptism, if John was a billboard, Jesus' baptism is God renting Times Square to advertise the Christ is here. Don't miss him. So all of this is happening. You have this contrast between the sin of people, the righteousness of Jesus, and now people are at a point where they have to ask themselves the question, what are we going to do with this? When we have this information, how are we going to respond? And here's the response of one of the religious leaders. 
Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus at night. Why do you think he came to Jesus at night? Because he didn't want anyone to see him. Probably came to Jesus at night through the alley with a, a cloak over his head so uh, he wouldn't get kicked out of the Sanhedrin, out of the Jewish ruling body. He didn't want anyone to know that he was there because the things that he was feeling and, and, and the, the direction that all of these things were pointing him was, was something that was going against what everyone else on that council was thinking. And so he was afraid. He was afraid that he would get labeled, marked, blackballed, whatever, because of, of even being seen with Jesus and talking with him. So he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, this is crazy. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God was not with him. Wow. Jesus getting a little back view of the Jewish ruling council and they couldn't deny what Jesus was doing. They couldn't deny those miracles. They couldn't deny his message, which was right in line with the Old Testament teachings. And they didn't know what to do with him, but they could not and would not believe in him. Jesus' response to, to Nicodemus, man, Nicodemus, you are getting warm. Warmer, warmer, but... Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. In your blank, you can write, knowing Jesus is from God is a start, but a person needs to be reborn through the Holy Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And he's trying to tell Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you were born of two earthly parents, both of whom were sinful. I've never met them. I don't need to meet them. Uh, I know by virtue of the fact that they are human parents that they have the curse of sin and, and if you follow them around long enough, you will see it overflow in their lives because they're human. And Nicodemus, I, I only need to look at you. As I, as I look at you coming at night, and it, it's obvious, again, like the people who were coming to John the Baptist, you have a spiritual itch that you cannot scratch. And here's why. Because flesh gives birth to flesh. Nicodemus, you have been approaching God from the standpoint of, if I do this, if I am a religious person, if I do good, if I follow the rules then I will have peace with God and I will have a relationship with him. And, and so, Nicodemus, you went all the way, man. You went all the way to be one of the leaders of the people that when you look at what a Jew should be, you are it. And yet, you're being honest right now that, it, that it's still just missing the mark for you and it's leaving you unsatisfied in a relationship with God. Nicodemus, you need to understand that that. You need to be born again. And, and this rebirth comes from your Father in heaven. And, and it's not based on what you do. It's based on what, what God does for you. 
And then he shares with Nicodemus some of the most beautiful words written in the Bible, some of the most memorable. John 3, 16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And he's laying it out for him. Nicodemus, if you want to find fulfillment in this life and the next, it is not about what you do for God, but it's about what God will do and promises to do for you. It's a gift that God wants to give you, and that is the way. And I know that goes against every fiber of your being. I know that you think it's something that you have to do. I know it sounds like it's too good to be true, but that is the way that it is. It's a relationship based on trusting God. And so what I do is I direct you back to God, to his track record with his people. The wonderful part of this is God has given you a complete Old Testament Nicodemus where he shows himself to be worthy of trust. A person used this illustration with me and it stuck with me. And maybe I've used it before, I'll probably use it again, but of of this trust and this, this rebirth and this reliance on God that we're talking about. And the illustration is one where they put a, uh, a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And there's a guy who says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go across Niagara Falls on the tightrope with a wheelbarrow. And a person who, who believes and trusts doesn't bet $1,000 on, on the fact that he can make it. He doesn't liquidate all his assets and, and bet all that 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 person can make it, $50,000, $100,000. The person who trusts says, let me get in the wheelbarrow. And that's the type of relationship that Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he wants to have with us. Friends, Jesus invites you to get in the wheelbarrow. Get on his back because that is the only way to the Father. And as you do that, and as we continue to grow in faith, this is something that, that I'm not there yet, and, and I don't think anyone else is, no one else is as well this side of heaven, that it, it continues, that he continues to build trust in us. But it is the only way across. And he's telling Nicodemus, if you think you're going to walk across that rope by yourself, I'm telling you right now, you are going to die. You are going to be condemned. You're condemned already. It, it's just that it hasn't been made official Uh, through your death and Jesus coming and judging you. Turn to Jesus Christ. And so in the blank, rebirth and new life come through the good news of Jesus. And so where we go from here then is another time because this is what Jesus taught and and this is where Jesus was going from there. And and I'm going to encourage you Read in the next week John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3. In the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 3, which is the account of Nicodemus, and John chapter 4, which is one of my favorite as well. Two wonderful chapters back to back where Jesus is going at the beginning of his ministry to let people know what this, this 
faith, what this relationship with God based on his promises is all about. And in this one, Jesus, oh man, I I appreciate this message so much more now that I live in Phoenix. I, I can't even begin to tell you. And the reason why is it starts with Jesus and his, his disciples walking, traveling through the summer uh, to where they're going. What time do you think Jesus got up with his disciples to leave on their walk? 4 a.m. I guarantee. First sign of light, they're saying, you know what? Uh, I've walked between noon and 4. You don't want to do that. And, and so you get up as early as possible, you start walking, and you get as far as you can, and then when it gets hot, you find a place to rest. And so this, this is an example. This is not Arizona. This is Israel. Uh, unbelievable how much they look alike. And, and so, so this is the situation they were in, and finally they had a destination in mind, a place called Sychar, because they knew there was a well there. And again, if you've ever hiked the canyon, you know that there are certain places that have water, certain places that don't, and you plan your trip around the water. And so he got there, and, and when he got to the well, it was surprising because what he saw was a woman sitting by the well. And the reason why this was so surprising is this. If you had to get water every day from a well to bring to your home, what time do you think you would get the water from the well and carry it? Again, get up probably, maybe not four, five, six in the morning, I would think, when the sun is starting to come up before that, because you want to, to get there before it gets hot. You can get the water, uh, take it to your home, and that way in the heat of the day you don't have to work. So it's surprising that this woman is there at that time. Until we get to know her and find out that the reason that, know, that she's there at that time is she would rather carry water when it's 110 degrees out than to do it when it's 75 degrees out because everyone in the town hates her. Everyone in the town, sometimes behind her back, but most of the time to her face, tells her what they think of her. And, and it's because she's had relationships, multiple relationships with, with uh, different men, some of which might even be these other women's husbands at the time. And, and for that reason, she would rather deal with 110 degree temperatures. They are more forgiving. 110 degrees temperature in the sun is more forgiving than the women, the women of this village. And so when, when she's there, Jesus engages in a conversation with her, which is a whole other level of something that would never happen because Jesus was a Jew. It was a racial thing, Jewish Samaritan, and not only that, but it was male, female, and, and those types of things, they just didn't happen. And so Jesus starts talking to her about water and about being thirsty. And what she didn't realize is Jesus was talking to her about a spiritual itch that she couldn't scratch. And so this is what's said. It says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man that you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is true. So right now you're, after being a five-time loser in love, now you're on number six and you're living together and, and you think that's going to be the way. 
And, and so what Jesus has done, when she asked him for living water, when she, when, when she said, yeah, give me this water, he's trying to explain to her that you're going to the wrong well. If you want this itch scratch, if you want this thirst that's inside of you for something different or something more. See, here's the deal. You've tried to find it in, in sex, hoping to get love and in relationships. And how's that working for you? Not very good, is it? Because not only do you not have relationships with these people, but it's destroyed your relationship with everyone else in your village as well, hasn't it? Not working out for you. And so this woman on this day, what she had found was the, the first time a man had approached her and didn't judge her by the way that she looked and was not trying to get something from her, but was trying to get something for her and to give something to her. No strings attached. And this was strange for her. This was, this was something that she had never experienced in relationships in her life. She knew it was different, and for the first time, she, she had it identified that someone came to her and, and made her see that I'm looking... You know, looking for love in all the wrong places. I'm looking for something I need and I'm going to the wrong well. How about you? Where do you go? What is it? What is it that you are using to try to scratch uh, that, that itch, that, that, that unhappiness, that restlessness in your life? I wrote down some of them. Could be that you're looking for power, success, approval of someone else that you want them to say good job sometimes it's even approval of parents someone at work something like that could use sex you could use money could use alcohol relationships anger sports vacations drugs there's whatever it is whatever it is that's something you really enjoy and you find happiness in that you say maybe I can find ultimate happiness in it Jesus says, no, no, no. That is not where you will find it. You need to look for it in Jesus and him alone. And so in the blank, you can write, for our hurts and thirst, we are tempted to self-medicate. Tempted to self-medicate. But only Jesus can truly fill our needs. I almost didn't put the last filling in. Only Jesus can truly fill our needs. And the reason why is because it sounds so cliche at times. I, I get that. And, but it, at the same time, it's, it's true. That, that when we look at this and, and, and we think about, again, our needs, and then we look at God filling those needs and how he lets us know that maybe we're a little more like those cars driving across South Dakota in 1936, not even realizing until we see the sign how thirsty we truly are. And, and then when someone shares with us a way, the way, to address that thirst, it, it, it seems too good to be true. Or, or maybe we even wonder how that's going to help us with the specific problem that we are in. 
This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And I guarantee you, after this day, Nicodemus' problems weren't over. The woman at the well's problems did not cease to happen. The disciples were in for a wild ride. But still, this was the beginning. And the beginning was recognizing who Jesus is as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the one who is coming to take away sin and restore a relationship with God. And I'm telling you, no, no matter what problem or unhappiness you have, if you don't start there, it will never go away. But Jesus promises help and salve and healing through a relationship with him through his word. This is the beginning. Next week, we get to continue with more of Jesus' teaching and, and more of the growth of these people to see how it applied to their lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that, that you have... Uh, taking the time to, to recognize our need, to see us in our needs. And, and Lord, I'm going to come right out and thank you for, for unhappiness and hurt and heartache in my life and the life of others. And, and thank you for the times that, that came as a result from going to the wrong places for help. Now, Lord, help us today to have a new beginning that as we look at the beginning of your ministry and the revelation of who you are as the Son of God, Help us to find comfort, first in all, that no matter what we do in our lives and, and, and what we're looking for, our relationship with our Father is strong through you. You have taken away our sin. You have lived perfectly for us. Now, Lord, help us to live our, our lives with that weight lifted off, knowing that God does approve of us, that God does love us. And now help us to live for you and to continue to follow you in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. About six weeks ago, Phil Bischoff was looking for... Uh, billboards to rent for us to advertise our Saturday night service. And he said, uh, yeah, we're going to get some on 51st Avenue. And my response was, there's billboards on 51st Avenue? <laughs> uh, kind of clueless as I'm driving, uh, not noticing the billboards that are there. Sometimes as we go through life, we don't recognize the billboards. The billboards like John the Baptist was, uh, showing us that there's free ice water ahead. Uh, that there is water to quench our thirst, of, of seeing those, those, those billboards that God has put in front of us, whether it's people, whether it's a place like Crosswalk, uh, whatever it is that, that direct us back to him. And so my encouragement at the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry that we're studying is don't miss them. Uh, open your eyes in, in your life to those billboards that God gives you, again, that direct you back to him, because that's where the healing starts. And now as you go, uh, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. We'll see you on the patio.